Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 452, and today we'll be talking about O Titan, Where Art Thou? From the Owl House. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. So, I mean, I feel like this might actually be the most important episode of the series. It has the Steve face reveal. Oh my Titan! Yes, absolutely. What was that, that, that Squidward post? Oh yeah, um, oh no, he's hot. Uh, that was seemed to be a pretty popular fandom reaction, which I mean, I agree. I don't think that there was anyone who thought that they would not be intimidated if they tried to imagine him without his cowl. Yeah, but he turned out to be pretty cool. Uh, so cool. Do we want to do a summary of this one? Yeah, we can go ahead and we can go ahead and do a summary. Luz and King are back from their expedition. King starts out dreaming of the in-between and the collector is very excited to not be alone in the future, and he notices King, but uh, King disappears before uh, the collector can really get a good look at him. They uh, go to the Owl House. The coven has taken everything, but they're able to follow a map left behind by Lilith to find where Ida and Lilith are camping on the knee. Now, Ida and Lilith have no plan to stop the Day of Unity, but... Ida, wanting to give Luz comfort, tells her that, oh yeah, yeah, we totally have a plan, um, I'll tell you tomorrow. And uh, they go off on an expedition to steal Francois back from the Emperor's Coven, while King stays behind with Lilith and just feeling all down and feeling really weirded out by her attempts to worship him now that she knows he's a titan. King runs off on his own and ends up riding around town on Steve's motorbike with him, kind of trying to get closer to his dad, you know, the Titan. Until eventually they are found by Lilith. Steve has his unmasking, which we already mentioned. King decides he doesn't want to be seen as a big scary monster anymore. That, I would say, is the emotional arc of this episode, but we have a real emotional confrontation between Ida and Luz, where Luz finds out that Ida's plan is to ditch her and King to have Rain take them somewhere safe. And, uh, Luz doesn't want that, so she fights Ida. They're eventually both captured, and then are eventually rescued by our new friends, the Covens Against the Throne. And together, they all are ready to band together and stop the Day of Unity. And the episode ends with Luz beginning to carve her palisman. Yes, it's honestly a very intense episode. A lot of like, just, you know, just in 20 minutes, just so many emotional hard hitters. We got King, like Luz looking at King and remembering all the trauma that he is probably going through right now and all the horrible things, like that little flashback to the last episode and her being worried about him. Because he is just a little guy. And he was offering to go on his own, and she's like, no, I'm not leaving you on your own, King. Yeah, he's only like eight. And then, yeah, the that King is having these dreams now, it's because... He's been linked to the Collector by yeah, that Yeah, by that ritual. But the Collar still protects him from being seen by the Collector's magic. Um, it wasn't, like, explicitly explained in the show that that was why. Also, um, kind of shame on Ida and Lilith for really not being able to find any allies. Like, they couldn't contact their parents or Principal Bump. Yeah, Bump would definitely have been on board with this. Yeah, if it's as life or death as they believed it to be, like, they could get allies from anywhere if it's that desperate. He's a very capable abomination witch. She is a very capable beast magic um, expert. Uh, they could they could do a strike in the right place and overpower some guys. 
Do they do they just not have cell phones or you scrolls? Know, the, whatever. Scroll oh my God. phones. Blizzard would have been in shambles here. Like maybe it's just straight up her parents are too old. <laughs> like maybe the same rules apply in their world. And I don't recall them <laughs> using phones. But her parents might have allies. Oh, yeah. I'll bet her mother has uh, every single uh, woo-woo peddler on the aisles owes her some favors nowadays, and she yeah. might want to collect. Yeah, well, she's part of a pyramid scheme. She's got to have underlings. I prefer to think of them as pyramid teams. <laughs> I... Oh, God. I'm going to give them credit, because they escaped. You know, they had to hide in a cave. Them being seen again was definitely going to be sketch, so... They were wanted. Yeah. Also very funny that Bellos doesn't have an individual poster for King because he still thinks King's a dog. Yep, so he just lumps him right in with Luz. Exactly. <laughs> and she's hiding with the, the hoodie while, um, is, wasn't she depicted with the hoodie? In the poster? Yep. Her beautiful stained glass poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Bellos does have style, I'll give him that. I mean, it's the one thing he's got is his fashion sense and the the sense of style from which it emanates. Yeah, her head is up, her hood is up, and it does have the cat ears on her hood. Which I, I had completely forgotten that her hood had cat ears until this episode. Yeah, meow. Full circle. <laughs> yeah, was it? <laughs> it, that was pretty cute. Does the demon realm just have regular cats? Have we seen any? Maybe they're mythical creatures, you know, like griffins are to us, and uh, that's why they have uh, that. There's something that they would want to name their group after. Maybe it's like the Avatar universe, not in that the Avatar universe does actually have regular cats, but I mean, like cats are always part of another animal, and so cats are more just like types of features. Hmm. There is a, a witch just named Cat who goes to Hexide, <laughs> so. But that could be like Catherine. But shortening it to cat. Yeah, you're right. This is not because there's cats in the world. It's the closest <laughs> link I got. <laughs> but ooh, ever since they showed us the uh, that Darius was in on the Coven thing when he's mm -hmm. like, hey, Rain, I'm going to send my little abomination to talk to you. I'm like, oh, it's Coven's against the throne now. I am so ready for cats. And then you have Amber going... <sighs> With yes, the other bards. <laughs> exactly. I, Darius's secondhand embarrassment is a very, very funny moment. This is great comedy. <laughs> I didn't agree to this. <laughs> yes. Uh, poor Darius. Well, in a life or death situation, you can't always pick your allies. Yes, exactly. Much as you wish you could. As cringe as they are, comrade is comrade. That's a good message. Yeah, which, so it's, like, nice that uh, he recognized that the Day of Unity is going to, you know, hurt witches, which includes himself. Therefore, he needs to fight against Bellos. But, like, the dude was still committed to being deliciously evil, right? Like, so that's not gone just because he wants to stop the Day of Unity, right? What has Darius been a proper villain? Uh, I mean, it's... You know, his confrontation with Rain in the woods was, wasn't was very nice. He, like he said, he was just making it look good. I get the feeling he always uh, picked on Rain a bit back when they were in uh, Hexide together. Rain said as much. Right, I guess now that we have that context, maybe his actions overall haven't been particularly evilly yet led. 
Although he probably was legit driven into a rage by uh, by getting his outfit messed up. Right, which that's understandable. So it's fine. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> also something, a little detail. So it was kind of cool or seeing like Lilith treating King differently, like so soon before <laughs> the Day of Unity about her being like a weird royalty simp and everybody else kind of making mm-hmm. fun of her for that. Um, because she changes tunes so quickly. Because um, at the Day of Unity, she like got collected trying to defend. She's like, don't touch my nephew or whatever. Which was very sweet. I mean, the Titan did will it, so. He did. Given more space. Maybe she did talk to Steve's therapist in that small amount of time. Okay, Lilith, we, we, we need you to get right before all this. That's your part of the plan, <laughs> is go get therapy in this uh, these two days. Yes, and then also while King is up on the knee in the cold, he has a little sock on his tail <laughs> to stay warm. <laughs> and all he wanted was Francois, hence the heist. Yes, another, some more little details. Um, Belos has overtime laws, which is, uh, I wonder if <laughs> the Emperor's Coven unionized at one point, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. It's probably just an advantage that he offers, you know, like, hey, I'm asking you to put in some extra effort and we're going to sweeten the pot for you. I mean, you guys are the elite of the elite. If anyone's getting overtime, it's going to be them, right? I That joke I really appreciated because that felt like a really classic when your parents are watching with you, then they get to laugh type of joke. Because yes. no one who has not held a job is going to understand what OT is like. So I, I love that that one is, it's a, it's a different type of joke that goes over a kid's head, right? Like, I'm glad that well, it's not Well, most just... of the time, because <laughs> when I worked at that daycare, I did have a moment where I set up lemonade stand and kind of gave the kids rain to do whatever they wanted. And as I was cleaning up at the end of the day, I realized that they'd written on a piece of paper a list of everyone's name and then clock out on the top. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Spelled wrong, but every time that, like, the teachers would have to switch for each other's lunch breaks, we would, like, say, oh, did you clock out, or oh, did you take your 10, or your 15, or your 30, or whatever. And they'd apparently been listening, and tried to make a punch clock. It's so adorable! Yeah, it was great. Oh, I love that. This is why the machine keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) Training those little capitalists. (laughs) Well, the cogs in the wheels of capitalism, at least. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Showing up to preschool in dad's old suit. Yeah, their <laughs> their generation is even more screwed than mine. Um, but oh, that bit is even more sad when you realize that, of course, they're being promised. Oh, I know we're working you guys really hard, but think of all yeah. the money we're going to pay you after we murder you all yeah. to death. He probably just made a bunch of like post unity promises. I mean, I, we know that he did but also littler promises about overtime to the Emperor's Coven scouts. This was the episode also where we got subtle creator sass about getting cancelled. <laughs> the yes. famous... We've, we've been mentioning this like every single podcast we have about the Hell House, right? I, it's a <laughs> great time we finally got here. Maybe if we had 20 more adventures. And a beach day. Now, uh, now someone at Disney's definitely gotta go. <laughs> Um, another cute little detail is that Steve's motorcycle sidecar is a cauldron, which I think is, like, genius. I would, if, you know, if you just, you know, put a seat and some seatbelts in there, that would be a really cute, like, if I saw that in real life, I would 
that would be awesome. I would take a picture. <laughs> I enjoyed how quickly and subtly King busted holes through the helmet that Steve gave him when he hopped yep. in that sidecar. Very that clean breakthrough, too. Mm-hmm. And then also we get uh, that heartbreaking fight between Luce and Ida. Yes, yes. It was so well animated and yet so sad. And the music as well on top of that. Ida showed off some really good moves. I was very impressed with how she broke the ice that Luz was sliding on right before they yeah. got captured. Yep. Yeah, they're both very capable. Yeah, it had to happen. It was it was good to show this, like, from the perspective that, you know, Luz has really grown. She can hold her own, at least against someone who has a lot of practice in fights, if not, you know, using magic. Yeah, and knows all her tricks, too. Yep. And obviously, I mean, Ida is restrained here. Like, she has no interest in hurting Luz. So that's not the same as uh, the lovely Steven versus Amethyst episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steven oh, Universe, goodness. where, uh, like, Amethyst 100% did not know that Steven's bones magically healed, and she was just <laughs> literally trying to murder him. Like... I'm going to deorbit you now, Steven, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh,. I, I, having recently rewatched that show, I would say that Steven has shown himself to be pretty hardy yeah. up until that point. He's a durable boy. Don't underestimate Steven. Yeah, he's taken some hits. Yeah, he, he has a few durable moments. Like, Bismuth happened before then, and Bismuth also gave him a rough time. Yes. Yeah. So I think Amethyst knew, to a degree, Steven's limitations. Yep. And uh, speaking of Steven Universe, this episode actually has like at least three or four major themes and, and similar moments that happened in the season one finale of Steven Universe, which I found really fascinating. So like Jailbreak has a lot of the same beats, obviously, first of all, that, well, there's literally a, a jailbreak. <laughs> yeah, I love sense. the part where um, Rain and Ida combined into one single individual and uh -huh. the musical number. <laughs> That then allowed them to beat Bellows through that fight. Right. And it didn't really even feel derivative. It was like a totally new spin on the idea. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but also it's like that moment where your parental figure doesn't know what to do when the yes. big bad is coming down and they try to keep it hidden from you. And then they make the comment, oh, it's sure... A good thing that, <laughs> you know, Steven slash Luz isn't here right now. At least they're safe. <laughs> At least Steven is up. safe. Oh, yeah, Hi, guys. Second later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just, it never fails to be heartbreaking every time. Yeah. It, it, it's a good beat, but I found it. Yeah. It's just kind of fun that I guess it didn't like, I only noticed it my second watch through, but I was like, oh yeah, this is a, there, there's a, um, Oh, God. Trope. There's like a trope here somewhere about how this works, which is kind of fascinating because I can't think anywhere else that I've seen it. Yeah. How many times does it have to repeat like that before it becomes a trope? Yeah, that's a good question. Because <laughs> it's obviously part of like the greater trope where like character gets contradicted the second that they say something as like a joke. Right. It's it's a it's a specific variant of that. Like, mm hmm. Which can only take place in a show about a child becoming extremely powerful and defeating a great evil. <laughs> but, you know, that happens a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, or, or where a caretaker 
sends a child away as the big bad is coming to keep them safe. Yeah. And unlike in the start of a martial arts movie, the child decides that I don't want to be safe. <laughs> yep. Are you me- Which one are you mentioning? I don't know. It just feels like that happens a lot in martial arts movies where they send the child away before the village is destroyed by the big bad. Okay, yeah, that's a... That's a, like... But they succeed in their self-sacrifice in that genre. That That's like a different trope. Well, yeah, this is like a... I don't want to say quite a subversion of it, but it's a, it's a different subversion. ending to that plan. Okay. I call it a subversion. Yeah, you're right. It is a subversion. It's often played for laugh. Yeah, it's like tragic backstory. Like, my village was destroyed and I was sent away. Like, like the Superman, for crying out loud, has right, that what if backstory. He right so imagine up. the subversion <laughs> of Superman is like, no, I'm a, a super person too. Like, he's not just like <laughs> I'm a, a, a literal, literal <laughs> infant. And he comes back and he saves the planet from being blown up or whatever. Right. It took us a minute, but we got there. How many podcasters does it take to analyze one literary trope? (laughs) I I appreciate that they didn't spend too much time on the rescue. There was already so much in this episode, they didn't have time to pack more of that in. But I do want to know, how had Ida had time to be rescued and talk to them for hours before they're like, you know what, we should probably go pick Luz up. It might have been more of a logistical pain because Rain had the orders to bring Ida to her, not Luce. So Rain had probably had to pull strings to also get Luce. Hmm. Oh, okay, because Ida said Rain was going to come for you, but Rain had to figure out an excuse. Okay, yeah, I understand mm-hmm. that. That makes sense. And then, oh, another cute thing, they have boiling aisles in and out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what's with all the food <laughs> sort of parodies that are only happening at the end here? Was that always happening in the Owl House? I feel like uh, Hex Mix really broke my brain for such a long time. Hex Mix, yes. And then they just kept featuring it. I'm pretty sure the Disney Channel headquarters is like smack in the middle of Los Angeles. Because in Victorious, you could literally pinpoint exactly where their studio was based on like the shots of the Hollywood sign. Oh, like literally they were just drawing from that angle. That's hilarious. No, 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 that wasn't Disney Channel. No, that was Nickelodeon. But so pretty where... much all this stuff is produced. <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty good guess. It's in Burbank. Okay. But there's a lot of in and outs. There's in and outs everywhere now. They're, they're putting in and outs on the East Coast. It's crazy. There's in and outs in Texas for crying out loud. So yeah, Disney Channel Studios is apparently in Burbank. Which is also where Cartoon Network Studios is. I, I do want to say, though, I appreciate how quick-thinking Rain is. When Tara busts in, does Rain spend any time thinking, oh no, what do I do? No. Rain goes right into, okay, Captain, I'm talking to you about very official business. This is definitely not suspicious. Rain's good at lying to Tara, but not good at lying to Ida. Yeah, Rain's a... I guess Rain's always had trouble with the acting. Not great <laughs> with crowds, you mm-hmm. see. Three's a crowd. The wisdom of Garnet. Do we have a character in this show who's, like, consistently bad at lying? Um, Luz is kind of a cinnamon roll. She gets better at it, though. Yeah, she, she, can, she can lie, if need be. And she got really good at lying towards the end of the show. At least lying about saying she's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the Stephen way of growing up. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, oh, Stephen did spend the first 
like big chunk of the show being just a terrible liar. Could not lie to save his life. It wasn't until really future. But I can't remember anything in the Owl House on the level of, and I also don't wear Steven's clothes when he's not around. <laughs> right. That bad. I, I, I think no one is a horrible at lying, but I, I did like Lilith kind of coming to terms with the idea that maybe she wasn't that great at her job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm starting all to the think seats. I wasn't very good at my job. Lilith, you had one job. You're supposed to be the secret police. I, I like seeing more Lilith growth would have been nice with more episodes because, you know, like Steve offers or, or, or suggests sort of therapy to her as well. And uh, of course, in Steven Universe, also therapy just kind of happened without us ever seeing it. And I, I love my shows where we actually get to get to see a little bit of therapy. Not that I want a sequel show where she has a therapist, but <laughs> yeah, a full 45 minute session would be a bit much. I like the headcanon that Sasha is uh, Steven's therapist. I've seen some fan art of that. Uh, Sasha. An interesting parent. Amphibia. Okay, so what's... <laughs> that, 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 that went several places. Uh, yeah, I've, I've said all of my notes except that Steve Cry is seeing two old ladies holding hands. Yes, which uh, I can't tell. Is that because he just loves seeing love? Or is it because maybe he is hoping for some love? <laughs> and it reminded him. He wants love for himself. He was He's reading lonely. a book called yeah. Synergy in the Coven, which <laughs> I assume is a book about, you know, in the Emperor's Coven, you don't have time for love. Here's how you synergize with your teammates instead. Yeah, conflict of interest. You see, eventually he decides, nah, and starts making little origami guys instead. Yeah, it's so funny if you've ever seen a, like, work training video about conflict of interest. They're so bad at, like, basically doing their goal of don't, I don't know, start relationships in the workplace. Because just these characters are like, but before I went on a date with the person I had a crush on, I decided I wanted to talk to my manager about it. Yeah, said no one ever. Exactly. Like, no, that doesn't happen. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Synergy in the workplace. Yeah. Oh, I uh, I should also add, by the way, that Hootie, he eats the fire bees. He continues to be terrifying to all the wildlife, but they don't flee from him. Food for thought. I don't know, maybe he's not the natural predator to all wildlife. He's an unnatural predator, is what he is. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on O Titan, Where Art Thou? Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. Leave us a comment, review, or email. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. <laughs>